Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you give us the opportunity to be gathered in your name. As Jordan said, Lord, the church is not limited to to a building. We praise you that we are the temple of the spirit. We praise you that we who are gathered today, we are your church. We are your people and you are among us. You are the one who walks among the seven lampstands. You are the one who walks among the churches. And Lord, we pray that you give us ears to hear what your what the Spirit has to say to us today. Lord, I pray that you fill me with your Spirit and to be able to proclaim the words that you want me to say to your church. Please open our hearts, open our, our eyes and our ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So like in in all the other churches, Jesus introduces himself. And again, this introduction that that he gives of himself is not just random, you know, something cool that he found to say, but it's actually very much related with the message to the church. And so in this case, he introduces himself, verse 18. He says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like 
burnished bronze. This is the only church in which he describes himself with one quality that is not mentioned in the introduction in verse, uh, in chapter one, which is the son of God. And I was thinking about this and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of different explanations. Like, you know, this is a claim of his divinity, of the fact that he comes from the father, that he was sent by the father. But one of the things that, that also came to mind is that this passage is very much related with Psalm 2, the one that Jordan read. This passage is very much related with Psalm 2. It, it, it connects with Psalm 2. And I'm thinking that the, the fact that he proclaims himself to be the son of God is some sort of connection with Psalm 2 in which, uh, uh, in which the psalmist writes, kiss the son, right? He, he, he's talking to the kings of the earth, to the people that rebel against Jesus, against God's appointed king, appointed ruler. And he says, kiss the son. And so this seems to me like a, like a good connection starting out from, you know, from the very beginning, he is reminding them that he is the son of God. Jesus is the one of whom the prophets spoke. Jesus is the one uh, of whom the whole scripture spoke. And so here he is the son of God talking to the church in Thyatira. He is also the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. And I believe that this speaks of the fact that he is omniscient. Do you know what omniscient is? Omniscient is that he knows everything. There is nothing hidden from him. There is nothing that he doesn't know. There is nothing that he doesn't see. He is omniscient. His eyes are like a flame of fire. In fact, later on, he says, uh, I am he who searches mind and heart. So there is nothing hidden from the sight of Jesus. He is also the one whose feet are like burnished bronze. And this speaks of his authority. This is an allusion to one of the visions that Daniel had of, of the statue that was a, 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 that was a reference to Jesus. And so he is the one that has all authority. He is the one whom God has placed all of his enemies under his feet. Jesus is the one that can trample on his enemies, on those who are rebelling against him. And so this figure of his feet being like, like uh, burnished bronze speaks of his authority. Now, why did the church of Thyatira needed to know all of these things about Jesus? Well, the church in Thyatira, Thyatira was not necessarily a, a a big uh, city like Ephesus or an important city like Ephesus. It was more of a blue collar city and the economy there revolved around trading guilds. So whatever, it, whatever your trade was, you wouldn't do it alone. You would join a guild and, and you would kind of be under the umbrella of this guild. But the problem was that these guilds were sponsored or protected or guarded by a a patron God, a fake God. And so if you wanted to be successful in your business, you had to pay homage to this God. You had to go to the parties that were celebrated in, in, in honor of this God. You had to eat the food that was sacrificed to this God. 
And after the par- after the the meal, there was a lot of immorality going on. And and if you wanted to be accepted by the guild, you had to compromise and join in all of the sexual immorality that was going on after the party in honor of this god, of this fake god that was the the patron of your guild. And so I believe that this church needs to remember that number one, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is God. He is divine. All of these other gods are fake. All of these other gods are not real. They don't have any power. Jesus is the one who is the son of God and has power. They also needed to know that Jesus is omniscient, that he knows and sees everything because there was nothing that they would do at these parties that Jesus wouldn't know. There was nothing that happened in, in the eating the food sacrifice to the idols, in the way that they, they uh, did their business, in the way that they lived in Thyatira that Jesus didn't know. There was nothing hidden from the sight of Jesus. And they also needed to know that Jesus is the one who has authority to crush his enemies, especially, well, on, on, I feel like you could have two perspectives, right? If you are compromising and you are being a part of the, of the celebration of the gods, well, you should know that you are at risk of being crushed under Jesus' feet. But if you were a faithful believer who was suffering because maybe your business was not successful because you were not participating or you were not a part of the guilds, then you needed to know, and it was comforting for you to know that Jesus, the one who knows everything and the one who has all authority in the end will crush his enemies under his feet. And so the same, the same things we need to, we need to remember the same things about Jesus. As we navigate life in this world, as we experience pressure to accept the morals of this world, as we, uh, as we face pressure to compromise for the sake of our political party, as we face uh, pressure to compromise for the sake of success at work, as we face pressure to engage in the practices of this world in order to be accepted maybe in school, in society, with our neighbors, we need to remember that Jesus is God. We need to remember that he knows everything. He sees everything and that he has all authority. So Jesus goes on and commends the church in verse 19. He says, I know your works. The omniscient God, the God who sees everything, knows his works and he commends them for these things. I know your love and your faith and service and patient endurance that your latter works exceed the first. So this church, they were doing great on love. They really loved one another and their love led them to serve one another. And so I think it is good for us to think about our own church, to think about us and, and one and and ask ourselves and ask God to reveal how are we doing in the love aspect of things? Are we really loving our brothers and sisters? Are we really loving God, right? John, who, who is the writer of, of the book of Revelation, also wrote in his epistles that you cannot love God. You cannot say that you love God, but not love your brother and sister. So, I think we need to analyze our lives 
and see, do we have love? Does that love translate into service? Right? Because it's easy to say, oh yeah, I love, I love everyone. I love my brothers and sisters. But really when that love shows up is when you serve them. Do you help your brothers and sisters when they are in need? Do you help your brothers and sisters when they got themselves into trouble? Do we serve them? Do we sacrifice our time and our resources to serve others? That's what love looks like. And also they had faithfulness. Are we a faithful church? Are we faithful to God? Are we faithful to one another? Or are we willing to, to just break our commitment to our church, break our commitment to God? Or, you know, maybe like, uh, you know, so-and-so said this that offended me. So I'm just going to go find a different church. Or so-and-so came and, and exhorted me for my sin. Ah, I'm just going to go find another place. No, this kind of faith was a faith that showed itself in patient endurance. They trusted God so much that they had patient endurance. They endured the tribulations from the outside and they had patience for one another. They, they, they loved one another. They served one another. They were faithful to one another and they had patient endurance towards one another. And unlike the church of Ephesus, he actually praises them because their, their latter works are better than the first ones. To the Ephesians, he tells them, you actually have to look back to your former works and go back to them because the, their works were bad at this point. But to the church of Thyatira, he tells them, your works are actually better. You are growing. This reminds me of uh, Paul's prayer for the Colossians. He says, he prays for them that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This totally goes against an easy believism, a Christianity that tells you, oh, just believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and you don't have to worry about anything else for the rest of your life. No, Paul here to the Colossians, he, or he is praying for the Colossians saying that he prays that they would Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Yes, we are saved by faith alone. But if we are not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, then we are just showing that our faith is not real. If we are not growing in our good works, if our, good, if our works are not better than the ones we had before, then it means that we're not growing. It means that we might be believers, but maybe we're just spiritual infants, spiritual babies. So he commends this church for their love, for their faith, for their service, for their patient endurance, for their works. But there is a big problem with this church. Verse 14. But, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold, oh, nope. Verse 20. I'm, <laughs> I went back to Pergamum. Verse 20, but I have this against you, not just a few things, I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants 
to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to the idols. So we don't know exactly who this woman Jezebel was. There's actually a lot of speculation that her real name was not Jezebel, that she was a woman that proclaimed to be a prophetess, but they call her Jezebel because of her, uh, because of how similar she is to the Jezebel in the Old Testament in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. Jezebel in the Old Testament was Ahab's wife and she was this Phoenician queen or, or, or she was the, the wife of Ahab and she was the one that made the people of Israel fall into worship of Baal and into sexual immorality, into adultery, into unfaithfulness to God. And so it seems likely that this woman I mean, if she was, if she was named Jezebel, then, you know, that's just divine, uh, divine, uh, uh, providence. I, I don't, I'm not saying that she was not named Jezebel, but it seems likely that even if her real name was not Jezebel, the image was still there because she was someone that called herself a prophetess, but she was leading the people of God astray. Now we see a pattern here that I think it's important for us to take notice of. Notice, notice the, the direction of things. I have this against you that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. Tolerate. Tolerate is not necessarily to accept, right? I mean, our culture tries to convince us that toleration equals acceptance and even promotion. But the real definition of tolerance is just uh, basically allowing something, giving it a margin of freedom, right? So it's, it's more of like, a, like a, a, a passive kind of allowing of something. So the problem with the church of Thyatira is that they were passive when it came to false teaching, when it came to false doctrine, when it came to sexual immorality. I imagine, this is mere speculation, but I imagine that maybe the leaders of the church looked at Jezebel and they knew that, that she was not right. They knew that there was something wrong with her, but maybe they just didn't have the courage to confront her. Maybe they thought, oh man, but that would be so unloving. It would be so unloving of us to go and confront this woman. I mean, she claims to be a prophetess after all. Or maybe they, they thought, well, you know, we just don't want to get into trouble. Uh, if people want to follow her, that's, you know, that's totally fine. But we're, me and my house, we'll, we will follow the Lord. So, you know, this is just mere speculation. I do remember a church that, I, that um, someone close to me was a part of a church where the elders of the church were not even recognized. Like people didn't know who the elders of the church were. And one of the problems of this church was that there was a very, in, in fact, he's still there. There is a really divisive family, particularly a really divisive man who continues to oppose the, the, the leaders of the church, whoever they are, who continues to slander against the church, who continues to, to promote false doctrine. And this church is incredibly loving. I mean, you'd go there, you'd feel so welcome. But one of the problems of this church is that they tolerate this guy. They tolerate 
false teaching. They tolerate someone who is divisive. Paul tells, can't remember if it's Timothy or Titus. I think Titus, he tells him, if someone is divisive, have nothing to do with him. Paul didn't say, oh, you know, just love him, accepting, it's all good. He said, no, if someone is divisive, if someone is teaching false doctrine, have nothing to do with them, rebuke them. And so what the elders of the church needed to do, they needed to confront Jezebel and they needed to rebuke Jezebel if she continued in her unbelief. And another thing that I've experienced when church discipline does take place, when the elders do the right thing and they discipline the person, there is always people from the church saying, oh, how unloving, how dare you discipline this person? How dare you announce publicly that they are under church discipline? Just how unloving this is. You see that false dichotomy that I'm telling you? For, for some reason, we have been led to believe that you either love or you either defend sound doctrine. But there is no division. Both should coexist. Jesus doesn't tell them, Stop all that loving and all that faithfulness stuff and rebuke that woman. No, he tells him, I praise you because of your love. But you tolerate this. And so what is the problem with tolerance? The problem with tolerating this kind of stuff is that it's not just going to stay there. If you tolerate false teaching, if you tolerate sin, if you tolerate sexual immorality within the church, don't think that the church is just going to remain unharmed. What happened with these people? You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to the idols. So first... There was tolerance. Then there was learning from her, eventually being seduced by her, being led astray by her teaching, which eventually led to them practicing sin, practicing acts of immorality and practicing unfaithfulness to God, eating food sacrificed to the idols. Brothers and sisters, doctrine matters. What we teach matters. If we teach wrong teaching or if we allow wrong teaching, this is going to have an effect on people. If we allow false teaching to creep into the church, this is going to have an effect on people, which is going to eventually lead to sinful lives. Jezebel, we don't know for sure, but she was probably teaching something to the effect of, well, number one, I'm a prophetess. So whatever I'm telling you comes from the spirit of God, right? So whatever I'm telling you comes from the authority of God. Listen, don't worry about participating in those parties to the, to the guild gods. Don't worry about eating food sacrificed to the idols. An idol is nothing. 
we know, I mean, maybe this is what is referring to the deep things of Satan. Maybe she claimed to have deeper knowledge into those things and say, don't worry. Don't worry. This, this, there's no, no problem here. And you know what? It's even fine if you participate in the sexual immorality. After all, I mean, we're saved, right? We're, we belong to God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So again, I don't know exactly what her teaching was, but it seems to be this kind of teaching. So imagine if you're a believer who is struggling, potentially struggling financially because, because, you know, you either participate in the parties or you, or you, or your business fails and someone coming with so-called authority from God telling you that it's okay to participate in these parties, imagine the relief that these believers felt. So we might not have a false prophetess within the church, at least not in our churches today. I don't know. I don't know. There are several churches represented here. And I'm, I don't know many of, of the, your churches close enough to tell you, oh, yeah, actually, you might have a false prophet or a false prophetess in your church or a false teacher. But one of the things that we do have is we have YouTube. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. And one of the things that we have done is that we have abandoned or minimized the teaching of our leaders, the one that know us, the one that, that do life with us, the ones that we know. And instead, we have accepted the teaching of many people on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, without even knowing who they are, without them even not, without them knowing us. I'm not saying that everyone that you listen to on YouTube is, is evil or a false prophet. There are a lot of faithful guys. But one of the problems with those, those means is that who knows? We, we can hear some, we can listen to someone who is not faithful to God. We could be listening to someone who is under church discipline, but we don't even know because, you know, they're just on YouTube. Or maybe some of us form our theology out of means. Right, we have a Facebook meme theology. Oh, you know, this sounds kind of cool. It's, I mean, they mentioned God and it sounds pretty cool. I'm going to like it. I'm going to share it. I'm going to accept it, you know, for my life. But Jesus calls the leaders of the church. He calls Timothy and the leaders of the church to keep a close watch on their life and on their teaching. So number one, I hope that by the grace of God, you belong to a church where your leaders are faithful to God, where those who are teaching are actually keeping a close watch on their lives and on their teaching. Because that way you are protecting yourself against this false doctrine. And maybe, maybe we don't have someone on Facebook, a false teacher or anything, but we do have pressure from the world Pressuring, pressuring us to compromise. We do have a lot of voices from the world telling us. I might offend a few people, 
a lot of people here, but maybe telling us, oh, it's okay if he engages in, in sexual immorality. I mean, we just want him for precedent, not for our, you know, moral uh, standard of the year. He who has ears, let him hear. <laughs> a lot of the times we compromise for the sake of, I don't know, political success. A lot of the times we comp or we are pressured to compromise for the sake of having success in our business, having success in life, being accepted in society. But tolerance leads to acceptance, which leads to sin. So, man, Jamie, you, you should not, you should, you shouldn't have given me this jacket because now I'm like, <laughs> now I'm getting long-winded. <laughs> we're, we're, we're halfway through. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, so there is this unexpected punishment for this woman and for her followers. 22, behold. Every time you see the word behold in scripture, it is meant to show surprise, unexpectedness. Every time you see behold, be like, oh, okay, so what's, what's before? What's after this? Oh, wow. Like, yeah, this is supposed to be a surprise. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. So there is a warning here. There is a warning that there is going to be judgment. God, the God who says that he is love, he is also righteous. He is just. And if this woman doesn't repent. And if her followers don't repent, he is going to come in punishment. She is going to get sick. The idea is that she is probably going to die and not just physical death, but her being a false prophetess, she is actually going to experience eternal death. She is going to experience damnation unless she repents. Look at the grace of God and, and the, the patience that God displays in saying, I gave her time to repent. We don't know how long he gave her, but we do know that he is long suffering, that he is very patient. And that's something that we should definitely learn. When we see sin in the church, we should not tolerate it. We should correct it, but we should also be patient, especially with our brothers and sisters. So if they do not repent, they will be punished. Her and all of her followers, those who commit sexual, uh, those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent. Uh, we don't know exactly if they actually engaged in immorality with her or if it's more of a figure, that figure that throughout all of scripture, idolatry, takes if you if you look at the old testament whenever god is speaking of idolatry he refers to it as immorality as adultery as unfaithfulness 
Why? Because when we worship other gods, when we, uh, when we, when something else takes the place of God in our lives, we are engaging in adultery, in unfaithfulness, because we belong to Christ. We are his church. We are his bride that he purchased with his blood. So whether it be idolatry or whether it be actual sexual immorality, whenever we participate in this, we are being unfaithful to God. We are cheating on Christ. Idolatry and sexual immorality are, are no small issues. Throughout scripture, multiple times it says that those who practice idolatry, those who practice sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Once again, our works are not what save us, but our works speak of our spiritual state. So if you say, oh yeah, no, I'm a believer. I, I, I trusted in Jesus. Look, it's here in my Bible. It says that on January of, 2000, of, of 1990, I believe in Jesus. So I'm going to heaven. But if your life is a life of idolatry, of immorality, of sin, of unfaithfulness to God, then don't be so sure. Ask God to reveal to you, to show you your sin and confess your sin and repent. God is patient. God is giving you time to repent. But don't wait until that proverbial biblical, behold, so-and-so was punished because they didn't repent. Repent now of your sin, of your unfaithfulness to Christ. And I will, um, verse 23, and I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and I will give to each of you according to your works. So the punishment that God sends attests of God's omniscience and of God's righteous judgment. When God punishes someone, he is showing the churches and he is showing the world that he is omniscient, that he sees everything, that he looks through heart and mind and that he is a righteous judge. And one of the dangers of letting love or so-called love keep us from confronting sin is that somehow it makes us believe or it makes us deceive ourselves into thinking that we know better than the omniscient God and that somehow we are more loving and more righteous than the righteous judge who knows everything. When we say, oh, no, 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 come on. Like, that's just too harsh. We shouldn't discipline that person. We shouldn't confront that person. You are basically saying, I know better than God and I'm more loving than God. When God says, whenever I punish someone, the churches will know that I know everything and that I give each person according 
to their work. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. So there's a group of people in Thyatira who are faithful, who are not tolerating this teaching, who are, or I should say, who are not engaging in the teaching of Jezebel. So he is telling them, there's nothing, there's no other burden on you. Just make sure that you stop tolerating Jezebel. Now here's a, a reward that links this passage with Psalm 2. Only hold fast what you have until I come. So faithfulness to Christ until his return. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. These believers were probably struggling to compromise for the sake of having some sort of authority. If they rejected the gods and the guilds and all the parties that came with it, they had no authority. They had no influence in Thyatira. So Jesus, the one who has all authority, is giving them a promise. He is saying, if you conquer, if you are faithful, if you keep my works until the end, I will give you my authority. You will rule with me. Just think about that. Just think about Jesus sharing his authority with those who are faithful to him. Which tells us that we shouldn't seek any authority, any rule, any power, any influence outside from faithfulness to Christ and doing his works. We cannot achieve authority and power and political influence through any other means, but through faithfulness to Christ and obedience to him. Do not be deceived. Do not bow down to the elephant or to the donkey. You cannot have influence, political power, influence, authority aside from the authority of Jesus Christ. And the only way to achieve this kind of rule and authority is through faithfulness to him and through obedience to his works. And finally, look at the price. Look at the really the final price. He says, and I will give him the morning star. Jesus describes himself in Revelation twenty two sixteen as the morning star. In other words, the final, the ultimate recompense is Jesus himself. I mean, it's going to be amazing to rule with him. It's going to be amazing to have his authority over the nations. But the, the greatest thing, the best thing about being faithful to him, about conquering about trusting in him is that he will give us himself. What he lost, what, what we lost 
at Eden, being with him in his presence, he is offering to us even better in the new Jerusalem. He is saying, you will be with me in the new Jerusalem. I will be right there walking among you. My throne will be right there with you. Whoever conquers, I will give him myself, the morning star. And for that, we live. For that, we remain faithful to him because we want to be with him. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. God, please help us to be faithful to you. Help us not to tolerate sin, not to tolerate immorality, not to tolerate false teaching, Lord. We don't want to compromise for the sake of influence, authority, power, success, acceptance. We want to be faithful to you. We believe that you are the son of God and that you have authority and that you see everything. We much rather please you and obey your works to have you in the end. In Jesus Christ, in, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.